Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I don't know how many of you have ever thought about like the beginning of your relationship with Jesus. Like if you think back and what it was like to begin, I think quite often about what it was like when I began a relationship with Jesus. When I began to walk toward Jesus, when Jesus rescued me, some of you know uh, my story a little bit, but I had made quite a mess of my life. Um, And I thought I was doing it in the name of freedom and happiness. Uh, It turns out freedom and happiness is a chain, and it wraps around you if you will allow it. And so I found myself bound up a lot and really just stuck. And I cried out to Jesus, and Jesus rescued me. And I felt in the moment that like everything in the world had changed. Like everything in the world had changed, and yet all of my circumstances had not changed. You know, I was still in the same relationships I was in. I was still doing the same things. But everything was different, and I found myself extremely hopeful for my life uh, going forward as I had surrendered to Jesus. Before I met Jesus, I had bought a guitar because I thought, you know, this is, some of you will laugh at this, but it was uh, my attempt at engaging in relationship with women. I felt like people, like women liked a guy that could play a guitar, so I got a guitar. I bought it from a nun. That should have been my first, my first sign. It was, uh, yeah, so I was trying to teach myself to play the guitar, and the campus ministry that I connected with, uh, I, I became sort of friends with the, the worship leader, and I asked him, I said, can I borrow your binder? And I took it and I made a Xerox copy of every uh, one of his, his songs. And I have a binder, I still have it to this day, the binder of, the, of his worship music that I just sort of started using. Well, as I began my relationship with Jesus, something sort of clicked. I was no good at guitar yet. I could play chords, but it sounded a lot like this, right? When I block eyes with you, right? You guys, anybody that's ever tried to play guitar gets that. I didn't know how to strum. I could play some chords. Um, But like, I just, after I met Jesus, all of a sudden, like, it was nothing to me to worship. Like, I would sit in my room, like, almost every day for hours and play all the way through that binder. And I would just weep at the goodness of God and just praising God. Like, it was just so easy for me to connect with God and to worship God because he had rescued even me. Right? Can you, can you relate to that? Like, if there's some times in your life where it's so easy to praise God, right? Sometimes it's just so easy. Everything is going well, but like, if you're like me, there are times when it's so hard, right? Like, sometimes you just don't want to. Like, every relationship, our relationship with God functions in seasons, right? Like, some, sometimes there are seasons where everything's amazing, and everything is great, and it's easy to connect with God, and I just, every, I'm happy all the time. And then there's seasons where it's like, God, where are you? How come you feel so far away? Sometimes we're mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God? You know you're allowed to do that. Read the Psalms. If you've never read the Psalms, it's okay to be mad at God. Sometimes you're disappointed by God. Sometimes you just wrestle with things that just don't make sense, and you're like, God, you didn't come through the way I thought you should come through there. You know, I thought that you should have done this, and you didn't do it. And so sometimes we're, we're just struggling to connect with God. And maybe you're in that season now 
And in those times, it's often so difficult to praise God, right? If you've ever, like, sort of been in this place, like, I don't feel close to God, and yet here we are, we're going to sing, and we're going to worship, and I just don't feel like doing it. And we wrestle with this sort of, like, well, it's inauthentic. I don't want to be inauthentic. I don't feel like worshiping God, so I'm not going to. So I'm just going to stand here until the songs are over, or I'm not going to give praise to God because I just don't want to be inauthentic. I don't want to... I don't feel it. And over time, what happens is we create this habit, don't we? I don't know if you've ever paid attention to this. This is how habits work. You begin to praise God when you feel like it, and you don't praise God when you don't. You ever notice that in your life? Like, sometimes I just don't feel like it, so I'm not going to. And over a period of time, you develop a destructive habit where you don't praise God when you don't feel like it. And it doesn't seem destructive. It seems like we're being authentic, right? I don't want to do it if I don't feel it. We've been in this series, Hungry for God, for a number of weeks now. And what I've told you is that hunger for God is is something that grows as we experience God. The more of God we experience, the hungrier for God we become. As we taste and see that the Lord is good, we want more of what we've tasted. The opposite is also true. The less and less we engage and experience God, the less we want. And because it's true, it's probably not necessary for me to explain why worship makes us hungrier for God or why praising God makes us hungrier for God. Something happens when we praise God. There's an encounter with God. And so if you're following along, one of the things that you're probably becoming, is probably becoming fairly evident is that as we praise God, we want more of him. And so we praise him more, and we want more of him. And we sort of accelerate out this end, right? As we praise him less, as we don't feel like it, we experience less of him. And we become less hungry for God. And we accelerate this direction, right? I don't probably have to talk to you about engaging in praise of God whenever you feel like it. But since these two things are at odds with one another and are headed in an accelerating way opposite directions, the big question today is, how do I praise God when I don't feel like it? And for me right now, this is really, really close. How do I praise God when I don't feel like it? How do I go from here to this direction? And I imagine a lot of us, we wonder that, don't we? Have you ever been in this place where you're like, I don't feel like praising God, and yet I know I should? How do we praise God when we don't want to? And that's what I want to talk about today. I'm calling this message, quite simply, how to praise God when you don't want to. How to praise God when you don't want to. Would you pray with me before we turn to Scripture? And so, Lord, I do just invite you to come in greater measure. And, Lord, I confess as much as any other time that I'm preaching this message to myself, as much as I'm preaching it to to everyone who hears. Lord, that we all struggle to, to praise you whenever we don't feel like it. And yet I pray, God, that you would empower me today to say something of value. God, that you would communicate your heart through my words. 
you come? Would you put power on this message? Would you change our hearts and would you draw them to yourself? Fill me with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with your, turn with your Bible. Turn in your Bible with me. Talking. Uh, to First Peter. Uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, you can turn there or your device. And while you're doing that, I want to give you a little bit of context. First of all, if you're not sure... Your Bible should look something like this whenever you get to 1 Peter. It's like very little back here. It's all the way at the back. There's like a thin little section. 1 Peter. It's right after James, right before 2 Peter. It's nice that they do that in order. Um, and while you're doing that, I want to uh, give you a little bit of context. 1 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter, which is why it's called that. Uh, it's a letter written to, to Gentile Christians, people who have come to Christ, all scattered across what is present-day Turkey. So in all these churches, all across present-day Turkey, there's these Christians, and as they begin to live their lives as followers of Jesus, they begin to experience resistance that the world doesn't appreciate that they follow Jesus. And so he's writing this letter to encourage them to persist in spite of the resistance they're experiencing, to keep following Jesus, to keep on keeping on. Now, these guys are apostles, they, they were converted at the apostles' preaching. So these guys never met Jesus. The Christians in these churches never face-to-face met Jesus. They were converted because of the apostles. And so as they experience resistance, it's not like they can say, yes, but we saw Jesus. They're relying on the preaching of the apostles. And so these guys experience all kinds of resistance, which depending on the time uh, that you would say First Peter was written, it could be anything from interpersonal issues, right? Becomes hard to get a job, becomes hard to buy stuff because people don't want to sell to Christians, things like that. All the way up to, it could be torture, imprisonment, and, and murder. And like all of these things are possible. All of these things happen to this group of people. And Peter is writing this letter to encourage them. If anybody has any right or is at all justified to not praise God because they don't feel like it, it's people who are being killed and having their family members killed for faith in Jesus. We probably don't feel like it, right? If anybody's justified, these are the people who are justified. And yet, Peter writes them this letter, and I want you to catch the sort of the, the way that Peter writes this letter. We're going to read verse 3 to 9 of 1 Peter 1. Here's what we read. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. 
For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What Peter is taking note about at the very beginning of this is that in spite of all of the troubles, in spite of all of the trials, the letter he writes is not, hey, you guys should keep on hoping. You should keep on praising. What he's saying is, in spite of all the troubles, it's kind of surprising, but you all are still praising God. Keep doing that. You guys are already doing it. Let me give you a little bit of background. Keep doing it. His encouragement didn't require him to convince these people to praise God. It should be surprising to us whenever we struggle with this idea to, like, I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to. These people probably could have not felt like it. So how does this happen? How do we praise God when our circumstances make us not want to? What do these people know that we don't know? What do these people know that we don't know? Peter says the foundation for praise at all times is having a different perspective. It's a shift in perspective. Peter says that being able to praise God at all times shifts, it requires a shift in perspective from looking at our circumstances to looking at the resurrection of Jesus. Look again at verse 3. Here's what it says. It says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The focal point, if we want to be people who can praise God in all seasons, is the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus. What makes it a struggle for us to praise God, though, in all circumstances, is because our perspective is off. Our perspective is off. We're too short-sighted. We end up filtering everything in life through our circumstances. We see something in front of us and it becomes really, really big. And so we can't see anything else. And everything that we see is through that, right? I just paid $80 yesterday for a tank of gas. That could color the way you look at the world, right? Anybody else pay it? I mean, I've got a discount car, I guess. But don't we do this? I had a bad week. I'm not going to praise God. I just don't feel like it because I had a bad week. My car broke down. You know, I had a fight with my spouse or my boyfriend, my girlfriend, and this just colors the way that we think about the world. You know, I'm sick. I don't feel like praising God. I just, I got this pain in my back. I just don't, just don't feel like it. I lost my job. I lost a loved one. I feel depressed. I feel sad. Right? All of these things. Life is hard. I just feel blah. I don't feel like it. All of these things are circumstantial, are they not? All of these things could change. And the reason we don't feel like praising God is because we've taken these circumstances that could change and we've elevated them and we've made them really, really big. And we see everything else in the world through our circumstances. But that's not how Peter says we ought to do it. Peter says the thing that we sort the world through as followers of Jesus is the resurrection. You're like, what does that mean? I mean, obviously it means that Jesus was raised from the dead. But what what does that mean for how I sort my life? The fact that Jesus was raised from the dead means the resurrection of the dead has begun. That all of us who are in Christ will be raised 
as well that new creation has begun, that God is in the process now of making all things new. Which means that my $80 tank of gas is not here to stay. Which means that there will come a day when I'm not depressed. Which means there will come a day when I'm not sick. Which means there will come a day when my circumstances won't be my circumstances. If the grid that we sort our lives through is the resurrection of Jesus, things don't stay as they are. All things are going to be made new again, which means that we can look at any circumstance and put it in its right place. It gets really small. The way we feel gets really small in light of the resurrection. The things that might take our life, that we're afraid of, the fears that we carry, they get really, really small in light of the fact that God is making all things new again. That we too will be raised as Christ has been raised. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they become so effective in this. The problem that we have is that we allow the things of now to become so big and we stop thinking about heavenly things. We stop thinking about the resurrection. Do you know that Jesus is still alive? I mean, I know that like in an ethereal way you say, well, he was raised from the dead, the tomb was empty, he appeared to a bunch of folks and then he went to heaven, right? But there's a part of you, have you ever thought about what it means that the bodily resurrected Jesus is still alive? That he's still interceding on your behalf? makes a big difference in the way we see the world when you know Jesus is alive and praying for you, right? The resurrection of Jesus is how we sort all of the things in our lives. If you struggle with a desire to praise God, what has likely happened is that in some way you have elevated some circumstance and made it the big thing in your life. Maybe it's the way that the person wronged me and I see everything through how I was wronged. It was what somebody took from me. It was the pain that somebody caused me. And this circumstance has become the ultimate thing in my life now. And I see everything through that grid. And then my, I struggle to desire to praise God. But if I see everything through the resurrection, that Jesus is making all things new again, that I too will be resurrected like Jesus, it changes everything. The way you fix it is to focus on the fact that Jesus is alive. He's actually alive, like you and me. But what do I do with my circumstances, Derek? Do I just sort of pretend? You know, I still am living with some of the consequences of the circumstances that I'm in. Do I just sort of play a Jedi mind trick and pre pretend that they're not real? Just, you know, wish them away, pretend like my circumstances don't exist? You know, there's a, a stream of Christianity that, that would say that trials and persecution and suffering are not the, the, the lot of people who follow Jesus. That when we encounter trials, when we encounter persecution, when we encounter suffering, that that's not actually what's supposed to happen to Christians. The problem is that's a lie built on a half-truth, right? Isn't all the best, aren't all the best lies built on sort of a seed of truth? It is true that when Jesus comes and returns and brings the kingdom of God that 
we won't, those who are in Christ won't suffer any longer. That we won't face trials and temptations, that those things won't impact us. That is true. It's also true that the kingdom of God breaks into this world now, right? We pray for healing, and sometimes people get healed. The kingdom of God breaks in. We pray for deliverance, and sometimes people get set free from demonic things that have oppressed them for a long time. But nowhere does Jesus say, if you're a Christian, you won't suffer. In fact, he says quite the opposite, doesn't he? If you remember reading, Jesus says, they killed me, they'll kill you. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, take up your Lamborghini and follow me. Although that might be an interesting, you know, he could sell, sell that pretty well. Right? It's interesting that the Bible talks about all of the, the, the apostles who just get killed for their faith. Sell that to like the circumstances don't matter. Paul, or Peter's writing to these folks and talking about all the trials that they're suffering. And it's basically like you're going to have more of these. But keep praising God in the suffering. Until Jesus returns and the kingdom of God comes fully, we should expect to see that trials, suffering, and persecution are indicators that the kingdom has not yet fully come. So what do we do about that? I mean, if I'm selling Christianity and I'm saying, hey, uh, just want you to know, trials, suffering, persecution, it's all headed your way. It's not the way to sell any product, and yet this is what the Bible tells us. Here's the deal, though. Dealing with circumstances involves understanding them in the, the re, in the light of the reality that Jesus has been raised. And that's the overarching narrative. Peter says that if we understand trials, suffering, and persecution through that lens, we begin to see that trials, suffering, and persecution are actually what God uses to prove our faith. To prove our faith. To refine our faith. Look again at uh, verse 6. It says, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Verse 7 says, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ is revealed. Actually, the function and the purpose that God uses trials, suffering, and persecution to is to prove your faith. It's to demonstrate your faith. It's to show who? you, that you have faith. <laughs> what Peter says is that rightly understood, trials provide an opportunity for us to demonstrate faith. They actually become part of the process of refining. That We actually see these things and we say, in light of the, the thing that I'm facing, this is an opportunity to prove my faith, to demonstrate my faith, to have my faith refined. Of course, anybody can praise God when everything's going well, right? It's real easy when everything's up and to the right, when everything's coming up roses and you're getting everything you want. It's real easy to say, praise you, Lord. Everything's great. It's super simple. In fact, that's usually when people forget God altogether, right? It turns out we don't really need him when things are going well and we just sort of move right along and it becomes easier for us to sort of like neglect our relationship with God. Have you found that to be true? I have found in the easiest moments of my life is whenever usually my devotional life wanes. Has that been true for you? Start to start to forget to pray because, hey, everything's great. What am I praying about? But here's the deal. 
It's actually your willingness to praise God in the face of the trials you face that forms and shapes you. Any of you go to the gym? Like me? Everybody laughs because they're like, you don't look like you go to the gym. If you go to the gym, right, and you want to get muscles and you want to, what do you do? You, you push against the resistance, right? This is pulling. This is pushing. You push against the resistance, right? But that's how you get stronger is you push against the resistance. And it's in the face of trials when you choose to praise God, in the face of reasons why you maybe wouldn't, that your faith gets stronger. You know, when I look on my life of following Jesus, there have been certainly things that I have learned by praising God when things are good. Certainly there are things that have grown my faith by praising God when it's easy, like faithfulness, like just sort of showing up and doing it time and time again. When it's easy, you you learn the, the routine, right, the rhythm. But I have learned far more And my faith has been far more refined by choosing to praise God when I didn't want to. I've learned far more. Some of you know, I'm going to tell a story, and there's no way I'm going to not cry by going through this story. Some of you know that we lost a child between the two that we have. And if you've ever been in a place where you have had miscarriage or you've lost a child or even struggled to have a child and you wanted one, if you've ever been in that place, you'll know that the pain is not just sort of a one and done kind of thing. Like, oh, that was a sad day, right? It happens in waves. Like a lot of grief, it happens in waves. Like you you think you're over it and then you're not over it. And it just sort of wave after wave after wave. And so when we found out, I, the, with our first child, I, I had gone to every appointment super excited and every time the heartbeat and the thing and it was amazing and it was so exciting and I loved it and I was like well there's no reason for me to go to the routine appointments and so I went to work and I came home and there was a message for me you need to come they can't find a heartbeat I'm like what do you mean they can't find it that's crazy you know we prayed for this kid of course he's going to be fine of course so I show up and Everything's a mess. And they've got the ultrasound, you know, the one that tells you which way the blood is flowing and there's no blood flowing. And they sort of look at you like, take as much time as you need. And then they leave and you sort of sit in this room and you know you're occupying it for some other person that desperately needs it and you can't move. And what happened in that moment is I got so angry. We prayed for this kid every day. I was so mad at God. How could you let this happen? How dare you? You owed this to me. I didn't say that, but I thought it. We prayed. We held up our end of the bargain. Where were you? How come you didn't do your part? I was so angry. I felt cheated. I felt hurt. And quite honestly, I felt neglected by the Lord. I was like, I don't think you care. I don't know if you're good. And I was so mad. And I was crushed. But we chose, after a few days, to go to church. And I remember standing in the row and being like, I am not going to praise you 
you to hold out on me. And I remember in that moment that somebody had said to me, your faith grows when you praise when you don't want to. So I began to sing the songs even though I didn't want to. I sang the songs like hatefully. (laughs) But I sang the songs. And what I knew in my head, I had to put into practice in my heart. Nobody ever wants to have that opportunity, right? You don't want to have to have the opportunity to to see if it's true that if you praise God when you don't want to, your faith gets stronger. Nobody wants that opportunity, and yet I was in the face of opportunity. And so I worshipped, and I praised, even though I didn't really think I believed what I was singing. I praised like Job. Job 13, 15 says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. This was my part. I will surely defend my ways to his face. I'm going to sing to you and uphold my part so that I can accuse you because you didn't come through for me. And every week, I just fell apart, cried through worship every week. But I'm like, I'm going to praise you because you owe me. I'm going to show you that I uphold my end because you don't uphold your end. And yet, what happened is over time, he began to heal my heart. I found myself stronger. I found my ability to praise and to see God moving in situations greater. Until about six months later. I said it comes in waves, right? Six months later, I ran into the pain again, except for it wasn't the same pain. It was a different pain. I collided with the fact that even though I had experienced healing, I didn't trust God still. I still couldn't trust him to be good. I couldn't trust him with the deepest parts of me. I was going through the sort of training for church planting, and I felt the Lord nudge me and say, hey, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about, before you can go plant a church for me, we need to talk about this. And I snapped back. I said, what do you know? What do you know about what this feels like? You left me alone. What do you know about what it feels like to lose a son? And in that moment, I realized Jesus laid his life down for me. That God indeed did know what it felt like to lose a son so that I could snap back at him. So that I could be in relationship with my father and express all of the pain in that moment. He said, I understand what you feel. I understand. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that he was the only one that could have saved me and could have healed me and could have helped me. The reason I tell you this story is because we're so prone to let our lack of desire lead us to not worship. I just don't feel like it. I don't like worship. I don't like worship music. I don't like the kind of songs we sing. I don't like the style of music. I don't like how long it is. Take the stuff we do here out of it. You want to praise God? I'm a little bit embarrassed if I were to say this in public. Praise God. That would be a little bit weird. 
We're so prone to let our lack of desire dictate whether or not we will praise God. But it's in the face of the lack of desire that we discover the genuineness of faith. What I discovered in that moment is that the only one who ever could have rescued me was the one who I was pointing a finger at. See, when you choose to run to God, to bless him for who he is, to praise him, to serve him, even when you don't want to, especially when you don't want to, what you find is that you're running to the only one who can satisfy the desire that you have. It's in these moments that your faith gets strengthened. You see, sometimes it's just an act of the will. Sometimes it's like, I don't want to, and I'm going to choose to. You don't praise him because you feel like it. You praise him because he's worthy to be praised. And it's in those moments that you'll grow. Your faith will grow. Your understanding of God will grow. Your capacity to trust God when things are not as you want them to be will grow. And you'll discover that your ability to praise God in all circumstances will grow because God will fill you with joy. Look at verse 6 again. I'm sorry, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What I desire to be, you guys have probably met these people. You've met these people that everywhere they go, they have faith that God will show up. You've met these people who bring joy in every room that they show up in, and they praise God in every situation, and, in it, and sometimes maybe it annoys you, because when all you want is your pity party, you're, these people are like, no, but God is up to something. God is at work, right? God is moving. I want to be the kind of person who shows up and gives praise to God no matter what happens. I want to be the kind of person who brings joy into every situation, who shows up and brings joy into the room. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not that guy yet. I struggle. But what I also know is that I'm more that guy than I was five years ago. I'm more that guy than I was 10 years ago. I'm more the way that, that guy than I was 15 years ago. Because God is changing me as I choose to press in to worship and to praise when I don't want to. What's true is that the more I interpret my life in light of the resurrection of Jesus, the more I choose to praise God even when I don't want to, what I discover is that I am more and more formed into this kind of person. And I think the reason that's true is because when I praise God, especially when I don't feel like it, I'm saying something very foundational about faith. When I choose to praise God, even and especially when I don't feel like it, what I'm saying is you are God and I am not. You are the only one who can rescue me. Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. You're the only one who can save me. When I choose to worship, even though I don't want to, 
When I choose to praise God, even though I don't want to, what I'm saying is, you are king in my life. You are my savior. You're the only one for me. And I wonder if that could be true for you. I wonder if that's who we are. I wonder if we're the kind of people who would choose to press into praise even when we don't want to. That we might become people who routinely say, Jesus, you are the only Savior I could ever have. I feel like the words I utter a lot. Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. Even when I want to run from you, where else would I go? Everything else disappoints. So I choose in this moment to praise you. Could that be you? Could that be your posture? Could we be a people who could praise in the face of and in spite of the trials, the persecutions, and the suffering? Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.